Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Kings chapter 2. David here is on his deathbed and he gives a final charge. We already saw back in 2 Samuel his final song. And these are the final words as he gives a charge to Solomon who becomes king. And there's a contrast here between David and Solomon. And it, I suppose it, it shows the difference in the vast experience that David had had and Solomon just coming onto the throne. But Solomon starts out really as a, as a, as a good decision-making king with a firm hand. David, and it's that way for everything. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm, I have preached the word and done my thing in my generation when I lived. I can't do it to the next one, and I didn't do it to one before me. And so here it is. I hope I'm able to leave positive instruction about things that are important because of my experience or whatever. But the next generation, they have to do their thing. It's not, it's not for me. I'll be pushing up daisies. Not much different here as we consider the final part of David's life. The first section in the first 11 verses David is seen as a, a realist, and he gives a couple of instructions that are generally stated in this way. First of all, put the Lord first in everything. Now, we know, unfortunately, Solomon didn't always follow that advice. He started out well, but that's a, another sermon for a later day. And the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. You shall be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. This is, this is very similar to what Joshua said in, in his farewell uh, address as well. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, Yahweh Elacha. Walk in his ways. Of course, this is vitally important, especially for any leader of any organization, but most especially for a national leader or, or in this case, a king. One of the great lessons that we are taught, historical lessons, is how obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings a curse. We'll talk about that when we get, finally get to Deuteronomy here one of these days. And those mountains of blessing and cursing. It's always been this way. A nation after the heart of God is blessed. They are sane. 
They're reasonable. They are strong because of the family unit and the innate desire to protect the next generation. And, and those nations become significant nations. And so it was the day of David. And David knew by experience that when he failed, things went badly. But when he was most obedient, things went better. They were well. They went well. So naturally, this is the first instruction. And it should be the first observation of any leader. Walk in his ways, keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. The decision of a national leader has far reaching ramifications all across the populace. When a leader, at least in some way, acknowledges God and his word and understands that he should try to operate within those boundaries, things prosper. But when a leader lays all of that aside and embraces sin, such as Solomon will do in his day, the people suffer. The nation suffers. Everything suffers. This is the first instruction from David on his deathbed. You follow the way of the Lord and his word. That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That Yahweh may continue his word which he spoke concerning me. Saying if your children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth. With all their heart and with all their soul. There shall not fail you, he said, a man on the throne of Israel. Now, unfortunately, this zeal for Yahweh begins to fail in the last years of uh, the existence of the nation Specifically, the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. Because of Solomon's sin, the whole nation suffers and uh, is divided, wouldn't you know it, <clears throat> uh, the f first time in, I don't know when, I didn't bring a bucket of water. And I <clears throat> the... Uh, Nation is divided because of Solomon's sin. You know, the Lord says to Solomon, I'm not going to do it while you're alive for the sake of your father. But when you're gone, I'm going to divide the nation. Now, David had to deal with this. Solomon will have to deal with it. That is to say, the lingering loyalty to the house of Saul in the northern tribes. It took quite a bit, and perhaps you will recall the study about it in Solomon, in Samuel, I mean, uh, for the people to finally come together completely as a nation. 
Seven years, David was king in Judah. And then the next 33 years, the northern tribes joined him so that overall he was king for 40 years, seven of those over the, the southern people of Judah. Now, David was an extraordinary leader and warrior and protector of his people. And so the time came where they trusted him and they came together. But uh, after the division under Rehoboam, the northern kingdom drifts more quickly toward demise in their sin than does the southern kingdom. But finally, the southern kingdom collapses in its sin. And you can see along the way, even Hezekiah, as good as he was, uh, let, uh, let little things seep into the kingdom. A little idolatry here, thank you very much. A little, a little disobedience there, for whatever reason. And it affected, it affected the kingdom and the people. So, a man will not fail on the throne until the sin happens. And God, in Ezekiel, during the time of Ezekiel, and it's recorded in Ezekiel the prophet... God dismissed the last of the kings of Judah, the son of David. And then, generally speaking, to paraphrase, in a, to paraphrase a broad context in a small sentence here, God would be the one to restore the son of David. Well, that happens in a spiritual sense, time of Jesus, and then in a physical sense at his second coming. So there is a, a warning here and a, and a prophecy. And then later on, prophecies will build on what is said right here. So number one, don't fail the Lord. Number two, protect the kingdom. Moreover, you also know what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me and what he did to the two captains of the hosts of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, to Amasa, the son of Jeter, whom he slew and shed the blood of war in peace and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. In other words, he shed innocent blood twice. Something that David knew he should be punished for and to the time of his death had not carried through with the punishment against Joab. And you shall do according to your wisdom and do not let his hoary head go down to the grave in peace. So at this point in time, he's a, his hair is all gray. He is hoary headed. Gray-headed. So he's an older man now. He served David well early in his life. But he blatantly disobeyed David twice. He shed innocent blood. And then he made the wrong choice when he, when he chose to side with Adonai. We'll talk about that here as we go along. 
So this is what David tells him here. Be obedient to the Lord. And there are a few loose sins that need to be tied up so that the kingdom will be strong. And that there are no threats. There are, there are a few dangerous men out there that you're going to have to deal with. So that your kingdom will be firm. But show kindness to the children of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at your table. For so they did befriend me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And behold, there is with you Shimei, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite, that makes him a relative of Saul, of Bahurim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahanim. And he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by Yahweh, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. You remember that guy? I don't know. He was, David was running, and his entourage of people were running with him, trying to escape Absalom. And he's running along up on the higher part of a hill, cussing at him. And he's telling David, you know, you, you, you got this coming, and all that kind of stuff. David took it. As David didn't do anything to, he had, you know, David's, one of his mighty men said, let me just go back and kill this guy. David said, no, Yahweh is punishing me for things that I've done. And I have this coming, just leave him alone. But he tells Solomon, you don't have to leave him alone. You remember this guy. And now hold him not guiltless, hold him guilty. For you are a wise man and you will surely know what you ought to do to him. And you shall bring his hoary head down to the grave with blood. In other words, kill him. I missed my opportunity and I didn't do it. I thought Yahweh was sort of scolding me through him. And I kind of turned the other cheek. But he doesn't need to keep on living. He needs to die. So then take, take care to follow the word of the Lord and follow the ways of God and take care to protect the kingdom and make sure that those who are a threat to the kingdom are put away. So now we have this brief account of David's death and how Solomon ascends to the throne. David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David and the days that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Solomon sat upon the throne of David his father and his kingdom was firmly established. Now Solomon, you don't hear much about him until all of a sudden he is selected to be the, the one who follows David to the throne. He was sort of sheltered. But you also get the idea that he quietly observed uh, the ways of the court and uh, the rulership of, of King David. Of course, he was an intelligent man. And then, uh, you know, God grants to him uh, discernment and understanding uh, in answer to his prayer later on. Solomon is a, is a very intelligent guy. And he's not, he's, there are no gray, he's, Solomon is one of those guys where there are just no gray areas with him. I admire people like that. It's either black or white, it's not a gray area. Um, and he starts off this, this very way. And thus his kingdom was firmly established. Now, 
Now we switch to Solomon and we note that how while David was a realist, Solomon becomes the strategist. All right. So I don't know if you remember that guy. He he pronounced himself king uh, and he made a terrible mistake. Solomon, who was given the throne, granted Adonai his life. He's Adonai, his brother. And now, now this guy makes a dumb request. You would think he's still a danger because he has people who are following him. And he's the handsome guy, you know. Uh, and he enjoyed a good show like his brother Absalom before him. And every, there, there, was, there were quite a few people who thought, well, indeed, he's the king. Well, he's still living. And Absalom, let me back this up a little bit. Absalom, when he declared himself to be king, took all of David's harem. And they, they were, he said, these women are mine. Those who were his wives are now my wives, and those who were his concubines are now concubines, and these are my women. That was a show that a conquering king would demonstrate or display whenever he came in and deposed another king. This was the, this was the height of humiliation uh, to a fallen king, that his harem had been taken over by a conquering king, another man. Now we go back, we go back to the, the lap-warming virgin. <laughs> Is that the way you say it? I don't know. The, uh, the Davidic electric blanket, um, hot water bottle or whatever. You remember her story. She's a hard one to forget. They sought the most beautiful virgin. You remember that? Like, like a beauty con. I don't know how, how they did it. And they sought the most beautiful virgin to come and warm the lap of the king who couldn't, who couldn't get enough blankets. He was shivering all the time. He's cold. So um, here she came. And the Bible, the Holy Spirit Abishai, uh, you know, the, you know who I'm talking about. And she, she, uh, her beauty is mentioned. How beautiful she is! The, the Holy Spirit of God calls her beautiful in in the account here. So here's the guy who messed up when he claimed to be king, and Solomon has granted him his life. You remember, he said, "Oh, don't kill me, don't kill me," and he became a coward. Well, now he shows up on the scene. This guy's crazy. And Adonihu, the son of Hagit, that's one of David's women, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. And he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, say on. And he said, you know that the kingdom was mine. Now he gets a bad start here. And that all Israel set their faces on me, that I should reign. But the kingdom turned about and has become my brother's, for it was his from Yahweh. 
Now, I'm sure he believed that, but that's what he said. And now I ask one petition of you, do not refuse me. And she said, say on. And he said, say, I beg of you to Solomon the king. That's her son, Bathsheba's son. For he will not refuse you that he give me Abishag the Shunammites as a wife. Now that's the lap warming, warming virgin, the most beautiful woman in the land who knew how to warm a lap. <laughs> okay. I want her. Now, we will see here in this passage, but there's another one later on. We won't get, it's in 2 Kings. So that this thing wouldn't appear wrong, she had become part of David's hair. She was a concubine, a royal concubine. He never had relations with her, but her specific job was to keep him warm, to snuggle up to him and keep him warm in the last days of his life. Most beautiful woman in the land, right? David's royal concubine, who's still a virgin, but part of his harem. Now, he said, would you ask Solomon to let me have that woman for my wife? And she said, good, I will speak for you to the king. Now, she would have known this because she was the, she was the only woman of his harem to escape with David when Absalom set himself up as king. The other women obviously were tainted because Absalom had declared they were his women. And that's when David put all of his concubines and his other wives away. Never had anything else to do with them. Put them all away. And from that moment forward, only Bathsheba was his wife. And now, for the sake of his warmth, this girl becomes a concubine, a royal concubine. Bathsheba knew... She knew that this was a bad request. Uh, and it was the same thing as saying, see what he just said. He said, hey, you know, I was king and people were following me and they all knew I was king. And then Solomon became king. Really what he's saying is I need to be co-regent with Solomon. And of course, if that had ever been granted, he wouldn't have stopped there, obviously. This is like an assault on the throne of Solomon. And so Bathsheba says, okay, I think that's a good idea. All right. So Bathsheba came into King Solomon. Mother comes to son to speak to him for Adonahu. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself to her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. She sat at his right hand and she said, I ask one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, ask on my mother. I won't refuse you. And she said, let Abishag the Shunammites be given to Adonai, your brother, as a wife. King Solomon answered and said to his mother, and why do you ask 
Abishag the Shunammitess for Adonahu. Ask also for him the kingdom, for he's the older brother. And to him and to Abiatar and the priest and Joab. Now these were guys that supported him, remember? Supported him in his attempt to take the throne. And King Solomon swore by Yahweh, saying, Elohim, do so to me and more also if Adonihu has not spoken this word with his life. I guess he thought Solomon was kind of a softy and was a pushover. No, he wasn't. And now as Yahweh lives, who has established me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who has made me a house, and he had promised that Adonihu should be put to death this day. King Solomon sent by the hand of Benehu, the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him, and he died, <laughs> killed him. You know, Elvis Presley sang a song. A hard-headed woman, a soft-hearted man, been the cause of trouble ever since time began, right? Well, in this case, it was a crazy-headed man who thought that he could take the only other woman of David's harem. There were no other. David had put all the others away. There was Bathsheba. And then there was this lovely, young, beautiful virgin. And the people would have noted then that he had taken the other part of David's harem. That would have been a statement. We talked about this back when Absalom took the, the harem of, of David. That would have been a statement to the people that he had taken the throne of David. And Solomon killed him, had him put to death that very day. He sent his main soldier, his main bodyguard, and said to him, go kill him before this day is over. I have this suspicion. Now, this is the gospel according to Charles. It, take it or leave it. But I have this suspicion that Bathsheba knew this was going to happen. And she probably felt like that this was, this was a good thing because this guy had already, he already had a following and he had some very important guys who had supported him. And King David had left a charge to Solomon to tie up all the loose ends and don't let anything stand in the way of firmly, firmly, firmly establishing your kingdom. Now, you remember the guys that were supportive of him, Abiatar and uh, Joab, okay? So this guy was a priest. He was the priest of, uh, of the, the tent that was not the temple yet. And so this Solomon says, you know, I'm not going to stop with a you. I'm going to clear them all out. And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, you're fired. Go to Anatot. That's a city, that's a Levite city. He's a priest. 
to your own fields for you are deservant of death. But on this day, I will not put you to death because you did bear the ark of Adonai Yahweh, the Lord God, before David, my father, and because you were afflicted in all wherein my father was afflicted. There was a time when you were good to my father. Because of that, I'm going to let you live, but I'm firing you from being a high priest. You're not going to be that anymore. I'm retiring you to one of the Levite cities. And that's where you're going to spend out the rest of your days. And Solomon banished Abiatar from being priest to Yahweh, that he might fulfill the word of Yahweh, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh, or Shiloh. Way back, way, way back, there was a prophecy that was made that the house of Eli would not continue in the high priesthood. So now another family from, from the descendants of Aaron will replace him. So this guy is fired. Then there's Joab. That guy is a dangerous man. So the tidings, and the tidings came to Joab, for Joab had turned after Adonihu. Okay, so what is he going to say? Somebody, Joab probably had his spies everywhere. And here's the news. Well, your boy Adonihu, he, he got killed by Solomon. Solomon killed him. And then your other boy, the high priest, Solomon fired him and has banished him to a particular city. So now Joab begins to feel kind of funny. He's the only one left. And after Absalom, he did not turn and Joab fled into the tabernacle of Yahweh and took hold of the horns of the altar. The only thing that the horns of the altar were for in a case like somebody taking the horns of the altar is a case of manslaughter or, well, manslaughter. Someone innocently taking another person's life and they could go and grab the, the horns of the altar. Well, this is not the case. Remember, he shed innocent blood. He's already had judgment passed on him. So generally, the king would have no authority to do what's about to happen. But because of the circumstances, he did have the authority. Have you ever known a leader like a king or a president whose enemies, whose enemies just mysteriously died. Well, it wasn't such a secret with Solomon. It was told King Solomon that Job had fled into the tabernacle of Yahweh. And behold, he is by the altar. And Solomon sent Benechu, the son of Jehoiada, saying, go kill him. Go fall upon him. And then he came to the tabernacle of Yahweh and said to him, thus said to the king, come forth. <laughs> this is, I love this kind of stuff. I can just see Joab standing there, his knuckles turning white, holding over the horns of the altar. And uh, Manahu says, 
Come out of there. And Joash says, no, mm -mm, mm -mm, I'm not leaving. So here's what he says. I'll die here. Probably thought that Solomon wouldn't breach the altar like this. But remember what I said earlier. The rules really didn't apply right here. And Solomon knew that. And Benehu brought back the word to the king saying, thus spoke Joab, and thus he answered me. In other words, he said, I'll just die here. <laughs> and the king said, do like he said. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, go ahead. Give him, grant him his wish. Kill him right where he is. And fall upon him and bury him that you may take away the innocent blood which Joab shed from me and from my father's house. And Yahweh shall return his blood upon his own head that he fell upon two men more righteous and better than he and slew them with the sword. And my father David did not know it. Abner, the son of Ner and captain of the host of Israel and Amasa, the son of Jeter, the captain of the host of Judah and their blood shall return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his seed forever. But upon David and upon his seed and upon his house and upon his throne, there shall be peace forever. From Yahweh, because innocent blood was shed. Menehu, the son of Jehoiada, went up and fell upon him and slew him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. And the king put Menehu, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the host. So now this guy is the chief commander of all the armies of Israel. And Zadok, the priest, who supported David in the time of Absalom and so forth, did the king put in the place of Abiatar? So now he is the high priest. So Solomon cleans house. He makes difficult decisions, but he did it. Shimei's defiance. That's the guy that cussed at David, you remember? And the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, build for yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there and do not go forth here from there. Now here's why. He's off, he's, he's, a, he's kin to Saul. He was a King Saul loyalist even after Saul had died. He of all men could easily stir up the 10 northern tribes against Solomon. And so Solomon says, you're going to have to stay here with me in Jerusalem. You can't leave. Don't leave here. I can keep an eye on you. And it shall be on the day that you go out and you pass over the Kidron Valley, you shall know for certain that you shall surely die. Your blood shall be upon your own head. Shimei said to the king, okay, that sounds good. As my Lord, the king said, so will your servant do. And Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. It came to pass that at the end of three years that two of Shimei's slaves ran away to Achish the son of Meacha, the king of Gath. That's over in the Philistine area, right? And they told Shimei, saying, Behold, your slaves are in Gath. And Shimei arose and saddled his ass, and I usually say donkey there, uh, and went to Gath, to Achish, to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath. Uh-oh. He left Jerusalem. 
And it was told to Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had returned. The king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, what part of this didn't you understand? Didn't I make you swear by Yahweh and forewarned you and told you that on the day that you left Jerusalem, that you would die. And you said to me, the word is good that I have accepted. Why have you not kept the oath of Yahweh and the commandment with which I have charged you? The king said to Shimei, you know all the wickedness which your heart knew secretly that you did to David, my father. And Yahweh shall return your wickedness upon your own head. And King Solomon shall be, uh, shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before Yahweh forever. And the king commanded Benechu, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and fell upon him, and he died. And the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Sometimes you just have to fall upon them, <laughs> right? That's a good start for that culture. I like that kind of stuff. But pastors don't kill people, so don't worry about it. We're going to have our uh, deacon prayer time.